Well, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm John Mayfield, the Real Estate Tech Guy. Thank you for joining me for another YouTube webinar, Vocabulary Webinar. So if you are getting ready to take the real estate exam, hopefully this webinar will help you out. And I'm going to cover some items from my chapters three and four from the book that I have written for Global Real Estate School. Hey, first of all, I want to remind you, it does not matter what state you are in. If you're taking the real estate examination in any state in the United States, this webinar will cover national content only, okay? So it's still gonna help you. You have to take the national exam and a state exam. We, we are just going to cover national content. So. Also, I want to remind you or ask you, first of all, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way, and I think there's a little alert button so you can be notified when we are going live on YouTube. I'm doing this every month during the month of August and hopefully September and October as well. Um, so I want you to subscribe. I want you to tell others who might be in your real estate course, wherever you are, that there's some great information here can help all of you pass the examination. And finally, I'll just remind you that I'm taking the audio off of these webinars and I'm using those as part of my podcast. So you can go to iTunes and search for Global Real Estate School. You can also go to um, the Podbean, search for Global Real Estate School, and you can find our information there as well. So don't forget that. And uh, we're in, on YouTube at Global Real Estate School. And I'm also doing a few things over on Instagram. So I'd love for you to follow me there at realestatetechguy.com. And for those of you who are um, in Missouri or some of the states where we do offer pre-licensed real estate courses, you will know that we not only want to help you pass the real estate exam, we want to help you grow your real estate business. So you can sign up, follow me on Instagram, and it doesn't matter what state you're in, you can get notified about some of our coaching and technology tips and tools that I share. And I travel all over the world teaching real estate professionals how to be more successful using technology, uh, how to leverage technology to save time, but more importantly, to be more profitable. So follow me on Instagram. I'd love for you to do that as well. All right, so uh, we're going to talk. We were last spoke about we were in estates. We were in chapters one and two of my book. We were talking about the definitions of land, real estate, and real property. Very quickly go over those again. Land equals natural, and that means rocks, trees, soil, from the center of the earth to infinity. Real estate not only incorporates natural items such as rocks, trees, soil, and you get it, right? The water, but it adds the man-made things such as a house or a garage or a barn or a fence. So land, natural, real estate, natural, and man-made. And again, that goes from the center of the earth to infinity up in the skies, out into the universe. And real property then means natural, man-made, and your bundle of legal rights. The rights to sell, lease, 
exclude people, take a loan out, and so much more. We studied that you can sell those rights horizontally. That's why uh, air, airports sometimes when they are expanding have to buy the real estate that's close to the airport because they can't just invade your air rights. You own that out into the space, you know, the, the universe. So um, we understand that you can sell rights horizontally and vertically. And uh, I talked about the mines in my area who came in, bought all of the real estate. And there we go. See, we use these words synonymously. So when they bought all the real estate, they also got the definition of real property. They had the bundle of legal rights. Well, they sold off the surface and air rights, but they kept the mineral rights. So we talked about how those could be shared and um, sold in different respects. We talked about chattel equals personal property. One thing I did not tell you on the definition yesterday was that what is required when you sell personal property? And the answer is a bill of sale. Okay, a bill of sales required whenever you sell personal property. So keep that. That has been an exam question before. Personal property, anything that's movable. We did talked about fixtures and uh, it's been so attached to the property that now it's no longer movable. And do you remember the acronym we learned for a fixture on how the courts determine if something's a fixture or not. And it's the acronym called MAID, M-A-I-D, method of attachment, the adaptation of the article, the intention of the parties, and did an agreement exist. So you can go back and watch the previous podcast and get more information on that. And then we got into chapter three, fee simple, purist, best type of ownership you can have. We talked about fee simple, defeasible or defeated. In other words, there's a catch. Uh, maybe you can, I'll sell you my property, but you can never have a, a liquor, sell liquor on the property, or you can never have businesses on the property. And so it's not, it's a fee simple, but the fee simple absolute, that pure title that you originally came with the real estate, this guy has a little bit of a hiccup or a catch to it. And so we called that fee simple, defeasible. Well, now we want to talk about a life estate. Now I'm going to jump on over to my board and let's discuss and let me kind of draw for you what a life estate would look like. So um, we are over here. I grab some markers here and we will talk about a life estate and how a life estate works. Um, and, and more specifically, I don't want you to get caught up in the weeds on this. I really want to just give you the terminology and I want you to understand the, the basics and the principles of it. But a lot of times life estates were used for uh, purposes on how to leave real estate to loved ones and heirs. And there's some really quirky, goofy stuff that goes along with it. But again, don't get hung up in the weeds on this. We just want to pass the test. And I just want you to understand the principles you need to know for the exam. So 
With a life estate, um, first of all, we're always going to have what is called a grantor, okay? And this is the, 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 the grantor owns the property, okay? And they will grant, sign a deed a to a person that we will call the life tenant. Now, this is the owner of the life estate, okay? So they, they own the life estate. Now, what you need to understand is this person has the right to sell, uh, take a mortgage out on it. They could lease it and several other things. However, and this is just in the pure, plainest form of a life estate. So I'm granting a life estate to this person. They can do all of these things. However, when they, if they were to die, this life estate reverts back to the grantor, okay? Now think about it. Let's just say you own a farm and you're retired and maybe you're in a nursing home or an assisted living and you can't take care of the farm anymore. And maybe um, there are other children involved and this is the son who wants to take care of the farm okay and run the family farm so dad is basically saying look son i'll give you a life estate and you can take care of the farm do whatever you want to with it but if if you die i want the farm to come back to me so that i can distribute that to um, to the other siblings or perhaps, you know, there's no other children. You just want to say, I'm giving you the life estate. I'm deeding it to you. But if something happens to you, I want it to come back to me. Okay? That's the purest form. Now, we have a couple of other options we need to know here. Is that sometimes the grantor may provide a life estate. And let's say this is the son. Okay? But we have a daughter over here, and this daughter we are going to call a remainderman. Now, in this example, in this example, the dad grants a life estate to the son who can sell, mortgage, lease, do whatever he wants to with it. But when the son dies, it now goes to a remainderman, the daughter. Okay? Now, people always want to say, and we're getting in the weeds, and I don't want you to do that. Well, why would someone buy this? Because if the son sells it to someone and the son dies, then that property goes over to the daughter. 
I don't want you to get hung up in the weeds. I just want you to understand the life tenant can do all of these things. And yes, if they die, it immediately goes to the daughter. Now, people will press me on that in, in, uh, in classroom courses. And I say, look, I don't know why people go to Las Vegas and go to the blackjack table and throw a bunch of cash down and gamble, but they do, okay? But for the exam, you just need to know in this situation, if there's a remainderman listed when the life tenant dies, it goes to the remainderman, okay? If there's no remainderman listed, it reverts back to the original grantor, the original owner of the property, okay? Now there's one more layer we need to add on to this, and it's called Poratreve, okay? And I'm gonna we're gonna talk about these definitions in a minute. We'll go back over these, but Poratreve, um, P-U-R, I'm gonna put another person on here. P-U-R-A-U-T-R-I-E, I believe it. And we'll double check the spelling because I have it on your notes coming up here. We're going to talk about this in a minute. This, what you need to know about this for the exam means for the life of another. All right, for the life of another. So let's just say this is mom and dad, okay? And in this case, uh, I'm going to call this person dad and this person mom, all right? In this case, the life estate is based on dad's life, all right? So mom and dad grant the property to the son. We're not gonna talk about or worry about a daughter in this case, all right? I'll come back and put that up in a minute. They grant a life estate to the son. Now in this case, we have it's based on dad's life. Right here, see this? When dad dies, the life estate reverts back to mom. For the life or based on someone else's life. Think about this and it makes perfect sense. Mom and dad give the farm to the son and say, look, it's your son, take care of it. Someday when we are both gone, you can have it or whatever's left over. However, son, if something happens to me, your mom might need the money from the farm. She might need to sell the farm and need the money, the proceeds to help pay for any ex living expenses she needs. So in that case, it's like, mom and I don't need the farm right now, son. You can have it, we'll let you live there. You're the life tenant, you're the owner of the life estate. But when I die, pour out for the life of another. When I die, son, the farm's going to revert back to your mother. And then she might wanna just give it to you. She may want to sell it 
for the proceeds or whatever. But that's called poor atrave. So makes a little bit of sense of, on how some of these work. But remember, we also have the option of a remainderman. Okay. And so, you know, you could have based on dad's life, when dad dies, son, it goes to the daughter in that example. But those are some of the, the, the terminologies on life estate. I'm going to come back over here to, um, to the other screen so that you can see. And um, you just need to understand, we don't want to get too uh, deep into the weeds, but you do need to understand that the owner of the life tenant can um, sell the property, they can take a loan out on it. There's lots of things they can do, but when either the grantor dies, if you know, or the, or pardon me, the life tenant dies, it's either going to go to a remainderman, it might go back to the original grantor or grantors. So that's a life estate right there. That's what we've been talking about. And uh, a life estate is an estate in real or personal property, believe it or not, that is limited in duration to uh, the life of its owner or the life of some designated person, uh, as we talked about with Poratrave. So life estate, and that is what it looks like up there that we just talked about. <laughs> and so now let's talk about the life tenant, okay? The life tenant is the person possessing the life estate, okay? So in our example over here, the life tenant, you can see, is the son right here. That's the life tenant, all right? So uh, make sure you understand who that life tenant is. And they love to ask questions uh, on this specific area about um, really making you apply the information, okay? So we now know who the life tenant is. And then let's talk about Poratrave, all right? In this example, Poratrave was, it was based on someone else's life. See that? And so normally this is kind of the situation you might have, but on the exam, they may give you some more challenging questions uh, regarding Poratrave. And we'll go over a couple of questions here in a minute and you'll be able to get this down as well. So Poratrave, uh, again, talking about for another's life, okay, for another's life. A life estate pour atrave is a life estate that is measured by the person, the life of a person other than the grantee. Now, this is something else that you need to understand because they love to put these words in here. And we will talk about this uh, further, but I, the grantor is the person who creates the life estate. They're going to sign the deed, the life estate deed. And the life tenant, also the owner of the life estate, is called the grantee. And so remember that the paratrave is for the life of someone else other 
than the grantee. All right, make sure that that you that you understand these because they're really going to throw you some some questions here. And as long as you know the definitions, you'll be fine. Don't panic too much about that. Okay. And then finally, I want to talk about remainderman. And you can see in our example on the board there, the remainderman we used as the daughter over on the far side of the board. So doesn't always have to have a remainderman listed, but it very well could have a remainderman listed. All right. So don't, don't freak out and don't worry. It'll all fall in place. But that's why it's so important for you to know those definitions and whether you want to write out flashcards to know those definitions or you want to purchase our digital flashcards from Global Real Estate School. You can do that and you can download them right to your mobile phone. They're really, really cool and, and they work great. So, uh, but you got to know those definitions. And hey, I want to just talk to you for a second here because I realize some people may be watching this and you're maybe thinking, you know what, this is just, this is a little bit overwhelming for me. It's too challenging. I don't know if I can do it. Don't have that attitude. Don't have that mindset. You can do this. I want to tell you what, I've been practicing real estate since 1978 at the age of 18. <laughs> I crammed four years of college into five. I went back at 52 or three, 54 years of age and got my master's degree in real estate. And I'm not saying any of that to brag. There were times in both of those periods of my life I wanted to quit. I didn't want to finish. I, it was too difficult and too challenging. But am I so, I'm so glad I didn't quit. It's easy to quit. I want to tell you what, and I'm going, I wanted to tell you why I got my license and when I did, just to explain one thing to you. There's never been one day in my life, ne I can honestly look you in the eye and say this, there's never been one day, one night, or one day when I dreaded going to work. I love what I do. I love real estate. I always wanted to get into broadcasting and film. But now I get to do things like this with a career that I'm so passionate about and love and have been so blessed to have been able to meet some great people along the way and grateful to have, uh, have had the, um, you know, the experiences I've had with real estate. So you can do this and don't let a few little low definitions put a pity party on you. Okay. So let's get that off. You'll, you'll learn this. It's like learning a new language. You're going to be able to do it. And if you need help, go download, go, go purchase our digital flashcards at global real estate school or make your own flashcards, but know these definitions. Okay. All right, good. So let's take a look at our next definition. I have these written out. I thought it might be a little easier for us to, to uh, talk about them. Yesterday when I did my, my um, first uh, vocabulary webinar, I didn't have the spelling down below. Now, if you're listening on the podcast, um, I apologize, but you can go out and hopefully you can 
understand what we're talking about uh, because now I have the word dower up on the screen, D-O-W-E-R, but go out to Global Real Estate School on our YouTube channel and you can uh, uh, just search for at Global Real Estate School on YouTube and you'll be able to find a subscribe and then also get noticed or notified when we're getting ready to do a, um, a live broadcast. So, Dower, D-O-W-E-R. Um, this is, in, in some states, it's the legal right or interest uh, that a wife acquires in the property that her husband acquired any time during their marriage, okay? So the dower rights are rights that a wife has when her husband dies. So if, um, if I were to die and, the, and I had real estate in my name, my wife has dower rights. So many states recognize that. In other words, she'd be the next in line. In fact, I actually listed a house today. And by the way, that's another reason how we're different at Global Real Estate School. Your instructor, the owner of the school, is still in the trenches, still listing and selling real estate. But I listed a house today, and when I verified the information at the courthouse, it was just in her husband's name. Now, he's passed away, so she has, in Missouri, dower rights, and she has the rights to that property. Now, why it was just in his name, I don't know if he owned the property before they got married or if they just put it in his name. But those rights, if, if you're married to someone and they die, you as the wife have the legal rights to that real estate. And that is called dower rights. Okay. Now, the husband, it works the opposite or the flip side. The husband's rights are called courtesy, okay, just like it's spelled, and I will put that up there, C-U-R-T-S-E-Y, courtesy. And those are the husband's rights um, when uh, the wife were, is, were to pass away, okay? So kind of keep that in mind there. So in my chapter three, we talk again, just to re go back over, we talk about fee simple estate. Remember, fee simple, absolute, best type of ownership. If you see the word fee, fee simple, fee estate, fee simple, absolute, that's the best type of ownership you can have. No there's, there's, it's just pure. There's no glitches. There's no hangups. It's a great way to own your property. Sometimes you might buy a parcel of real estate and it's not quite up to fee simple absolute. It's not quite up to par. There's nothing wrong with it, but there may be a stipulation. My wife and I owned a pick your own blueberry blackberry farm at one time, believe it or not. I know I probably you probably are thinking Green Acres is the place for me. <laughs> uh, that's why I got. That's why I'm not a singer. Okay, I, I'd love to be, but uh, I know what you're thinking. And so, but when we bought our farm, 
there was a stipulation on the deed, a restriction that there could never be alcohol or other businesses operated on that farm. Now, why did he put those on there? Well, number one, he lived right next door to us and he used to own the blueberry blackberry farm and the, the owner, the grantor of that, the seller who sold us the property said, look, I don't mind you buying my blueberry blackberry farm, but I sure don't want you putting any kind of a alcohol or nightclub or bar or tavern because I'm still living here next door to the farm and I really don't want you operating any other businesses off of the property. So that would be an example of a fee simple defeasible, okay? And if you ever tried to violate that, the owner could go to court and try to, uh, you know, stop you from doing that or get the property back. And then we just talked about our life estate. So now we're going to move on to chapter four with the types of ownership. And I'm going to give us the first one called severalty. In chapter four, we're talking in my chapter four, and you're going to cover this throughout the course, is when you buy real estate, I just want to make sure I'm not separating. I've got a big long cable here and I, it's got a plug in and I don't, I do not want to unplug my audio while we're going through this. Um, when you buy property, real estate, you need to think about, are you buying this with one person or are you buying this with multiple people? Okay. So the first one, and I'm actually going to go over to the board, I think here, and uh, we'll do this over here is called severalty. Okay. Let's take a look at this on the board and, um, Hopefully you're finding this kind of interesting. I'm using a, a neat little app called Switcher Studio. And so I can do some um, multiple camera angles. I'm doing all of this with uh, iPhones and iPads and things set up. I, my last, we, my wife and I just sold our home in January and uh, believe it or not, we can't, where I'm standing now is the home we sold before we went to the Blueberry Blackberry Farm. And it's kind of my signature speech now as a, as a keynote speaker and presenter. And, and uh, if you're watching or have an opportunity or need, you know, a church or a realtor association has an inspirational breakfast or just an organization that needs a keynote speech, I talk about you know, not giving up and kind of hanging in there. And I don't want to bore you with my whole story, but it's really kind of cool because we never wanted to sell this home that I'm in here. And a lady had a buyer. We sold the house and we built our home on the Blueberry Farm, Blackberry Farm. And in, in the span of like six months, I sold my real estate office, went to, I had three offices and about 45 agents. And I went to work for a bank and I found out the bank was on the watch list. Our economy tanked. This is back in 07 and 08. And we lost our crop due to a late spring freeze. So we didn't file bankruptcy. We paid everybody off and it took a lot of time. And we sold a bunch of stuff. And we ended up moving into a rental house that we owned. And we, we really were in that home longer than any of our houses. And it was a great little house. And I had the coolest studio set up in there. And I had all the lights just exactly right because it was an unfinished basement. 
And uh, we sold our home in January, and lo and behold, we bought our old home back. It was for sale. And the owners had finished the downstairs, so it works great now because we run the real estate school out of here, and I still run my real estate office here. Uh, my daughters help me, Anne is a licensed real estate agent, my daughter Anne. She helps me with the real estate office and with the real estate school. And then um, her sister, my other daughter, Allie, she's helping us with the real estate school as well because we've just been growing by leaps and bounds. So anyway, I say all of that to say, I know the lighting's not exactly what I want. And I had some lighting that I was putting up and it just, there were some shadows and weird things going on. So there, there's no additional light. And I know it might be a little bit dark and I apologize about that, but hopefully you can still see everything okay. So we're talking about forms of ownership and one person who owns a property, if, if it's a sole person, I'm gonna just put a single person, sole ownership, this, they take title in severalty, in severalty, as you can see on the screen. Now, that's confusing to me because you think, wait a minute, several means more than one person. Well, here's how you can remember that. Single ownership, S, we could even put sole ownership, right? S, severalty. S, okay? So just remember, if it's a single person, they take title in severalty, okay? Sole ownership. Now, one other thing you need to know for the exam, and, and I would kind of, I don't want to say bet, I shouldn't bet, but forewarn you, <laughs> that they may ask you about a corporation. How does a corporation take title to a property? Well, a single person takes title in severalty. That's what we call it, okay? That's how they take title. A corporation is considered a single entity, so it too takes title in severalty. Okay, that very well could be an exam question. Now, I had a student one time, and I didn't realize this, there, sometimes we, um, um, it was a really interesting um, book that I read, and I can't think of the name of it right now, but they talk about in the book, The Curse of Knowledge. Sometimes, we have so much knowledge that we fail to realize that other people may not understand certain things that we take for granted, okay? And I, ha I have an exam question and it said, it says ABC Inc, I-N-C, purchased a piece of property. How did they take title of the property? Well, Inc, I-N-C period, stands for incorporated. And if a business is incorporated, it is a corporation. Therefore, ABC Inc. took title in severalty. All right, so just remember that. Very important for you to remember that sole ownership, single ownership takes title 
in severalty. Now, what about husbands and wives or multiple owners? How do they take title to property? Well, let's take a look at this. Let's just say that we have um, Bob and Sue. I have some friends named Bob and Sue who are married, husband and wife. But let's just say Bob and Sue are single individuals and they are not married, okay? So Bob's a single person and Sue's a single person. And they want to buy a house together, okay? So how will they take title? Well, it depends. How, they, how do they want to take title? There's a couple of ways they can do this. And so we're going to look at the first one called tenancy in common. Tenancy in common. And with a tenancy in common, what you need to understand is there is, and I would write this down or put it to memory, there is what we call no right of survivorship. Okay? Which basically means if Sue dies, so in this case, Sue dies, all right? Bob does not get Sue's 50%, all right? Sue's 50% will go to her heirs, all right? That's what we mean by no right of survivorship. Bob and Sue could choose to take title as what we call joint tenants. And I'm going to put this over here on this side. And my red is really pretty light. So let me grab a black one here. So let's talk about joint tenancy. Joint tenancy. I'm going to throw that up on the screen for us real quick here. So joint tenancy, there is a right of survivorship. So I'm going to put yes to right of survivorship. All right. In this case, when Sue dies, because she, they took it as joint tenancy, her 50% would go to Bob. And Bob would now own 100% in severalty. Okay? So that's called joint tenancy. It does have right of survivorship. And we have another acronym called PITT. P-I-T-T, -T, and for a joint tenancy, 
to exist, you always have to take title and possession at the same time, and there has to be equal interest. Oh, equal interest. Which means Bob and Sue have to purchase this at the same time, take title to the property at the same time, and they both have equal interest in the property. Let's kind of, let me, so that's, and, and I don't want you to, again, you just have to read these questions and do not draw too much into them and look at what they're asking you. They may give you a question that says, Carr, Dole, Lombard purchased a piece of property, and they're going to give you lots of other junk with that question. But the bottom, when you get down at the bottom, because they like to have these great big chunky questions just to freak you out a little bit and don't let them do that. And down at the bottom, it's just going to say, Dole died and Bard and Falk now own a Doe's share. What type of ownership did they, was the property vested? Well, it had to have been joint tenancy, right? If there were three of them, one dies and the other two now are 50% owners, then there was a right of survivorship, so it had to be joint tenancy. If that same question they give you and they give you lots of junk and goop and whatever on the question, and you get down to the very bottom and it says, um, Bob and Sue died, or Bob and Sue own property and Sue passes away and Sue's heirs now inherit her portion or 50%, it was a tenancy in common because there's no right of survivorship. So you do not have to make these questions. These are like free softballs. And sometimes people really freak out on these, but if you just pick out and look into the question a little bit, you'll be able to quickly say that's a tenants in common. Here with tenancy in common, you can have equal or unequal interest. So if, if it says Bob owns 60 and Sue owns 40, tenancy in common. It's got to be that way. Why? Because there's no pit. Remember, possession, interest, time, title. So very, they're very, very easy to answer if you can understand the basic principle behind how this operates. All right? Okay. Let me just erase this. I was going to draw another example, but I just want to quickly point out that I'm doing two people here, but if you had three people, um, they could be tenants in common, and this person could have 10%, this person could have 20%, and this person could have 70%. Well, remember, with tenants in common, no right of survivorship, so when one person dies, their 70% would go to where? To their heirs. All right, okay. So now let's look at this same scenario. If you had three owners, and they all owned one third, They'd have to if this person died and now these people own one half, you have joint tenancy. Just remember with joint tenancy, you 
pit has to be in place. So if you saw a question and they did not take, they could have all of the characteristics of, of a joint tenancy, but if they didn't take property at the same, at the same time, then you know that it would have to be a tenant in common. Sometimes, there have been some times where this person did what we call a suit to partition. You might see that. That's when they go to the court to, to say to the court, look, I don't want to own this with those other three people anymore. If they do a suit to partition, these two would still own property as joint tenants, but this person now um, would own their one-third as a tenant in common with them, okay? And if they die, then it would go to their heirs. Occasionally, you might see that. All you need to understand is if one, if one owner wants to sell and the others do not, what does the owner have to do? Go to court to get a suit to partition. Good. And then the last one we are going to look at, and I'm going to go back over here to the uh, other desk. The last one we're going to look at is what we call a tenancy by the entirety. Tenancy by the entirety. There we go. I'm back on a different screen. <laughs> tenancy by the entirety has to be husband and wife. Got to know, just know that. Tenancy by the entirety, husband and wife. Again, I don't want you to make these too challenging or difficult. Joint tenancy, remember pit. They have to take possession, interest, time, title. All of that has to be in place. Equal interest and right of survivorship. With tenancy in common, there's no right of survivorship. It's left to the heirs. There could be equal or unequal interest. And remember a tenancy by the entirety. Very important, husband and wife. And then we have community property, um, which is community property is ownership based on the theory that each spouse has an equal interest in the property acquired by the efforts of either spouse during the marriage. So community property states just say, Missouri's one of those, if I buy property and my wife and I are married, then we, we both have equal interest in that. Some states have what are called separate property uh, laws. California is one. And separate property, if you saw a question on this on the exam, is property that you bring to the marriage or you inherit after you're married. So if you own a Corvette and you are single and you get married, in those states the Corvette would be considered separate property. Or if you were married and you inherited a million dollars from a, an aunt, that would be considered separate property. Community property is property that you bring, that you acquire while you're married, okay? But separate property is property you bring to the marriage or you inherit after your marriage. 
uh, after you're married. And in most states, a lot of states, and, and so th those are the only way you need to know those terms. But in Missouri, we have community property, but some states do allow separate property, so keep that in mind. And then we talked about a suit to partition. Um, maybe used to terminate a joint tenancy, but a tenancy by the entirety, you can't do a suit to partition. Remember, tenancy by the entirety is husband and wife, okay? So you can't do any kind of suit to partition to the court if you're married and you own property tenancy, uh, tenancy by the entirety. Uh, you just need to get a divorce if that's the case, but you can't do a suit to partition. You can do a suit to partition for the joint tenancy. Tenancy by the uh, tenancy in common, you know, you could always sell your shares as well or do a joint or do a suit to partition. Believe it or not, we've gone almost 50 minutes. How about that? I hope this was helpful. I'm having a fun time doing this and I hope the format today was very good for you. If you're listening via the podcast, I did have some terminology or the terms on the screen below as we talked about some of these definitions. You can always go um, watch this on YouTube. Uh, just be sure and, and search for at Global Real Estate School. But hopefully you were able to take the podcast, the audio, and you understood what we were doing as well. And so subscribe to our page. That would thrill me. I only have 180 subscribers right now, but I'm going for 100,000 or more. We can do it. Tell your friends in your real estate school, if you've watched this or listened to it, go to YouTube, search for Global Real Estate School and like us there. And then don't forget to follow me on Instagram as well. I'm at Real Estate Tech Guy. You can do that. We've got a Facebook page, which is Global Real Estate School. You can find us there. And um, we will be back tomorrow. We'll keep moving through the material. So. I, as always, for my global real estate folks, students, thank you so much for your business. If you're not a global real estate school student, you can still support us by going to global real estate school and purchasing our practice exams. That's right. We've got some great practice exams that are national content. So it doesn't matter what state you're in, those questions will help you. And you can also check out our digital flashcards there. So tomorrow we're going to keep plugging through the material and I uh, will see you tomorrow. Uh, like our iTunes, give us a five star, give us some good feedback on YouTube. And more importantly, don't give up. You can do this, all right? You're going to be a great real estate agent. I know it. And I, I want to be here to help you grow your real estate career. Thank you so much for watching the live broadcast. I hope you will go out and make it a great day.